So as Nick already uh, mentioned, uh, this begins a uh, many-week-long series of Deuteronomy uh, with a couple breaks where we're hoping to be preaching through Deuteronomy all the way until at least Easter, if not beyond. And, and not only that, but a couple weeks ago, I met with the discipleship group uh, leaders, and we talked about you know, preparing. Our discipleship groups are also going to be looking at Deuteronomy. Some of you might already have received the 60-page PDF document. That is our discipleship group uh, guide for the fall for Deuteronomy. And so there's going to be a lot, of, um, a lot of work invested in Deuteronomy. And then on top of that, we're about to have a Sunday school class beginning next week where Deuteronomy is going to play a major role. And so it seemed like it might be valuable for us to start with you understanding why. Um, until this morning, anytime I told someone that we were about to study Deuteronomy, no one said, that's my favorite book. Now, that was ruined because this morning there was someone here who said, oh, I'm so excited about Deuteronomy. But she, I think, is the exception to the rule. Most people go, huh, Deuteronomy. And they kind of try to look excited, but also are a little bit confused because Deuteronomy is kind of a hard book to know how to read sometimes. So, so why, why let, let's assume that the staff didn't just... Um, have a dartboard with 66 books of the Bible, and we threw, and boom, Deuteronomy. I guess that's what we're doing. There, there's a reason that we're studying it, and it's important for us to understand why. Why it's worth us collectively investing this energy in trying to hear it, spending time on our own and the discipleship groups trying to study it. So, so why is it that this is such an important book for us to study and consider at this moment? That's, that's what I want us I'm hoping to help you to understand throughout this morning. And so this morning, what I, I want to do is just kind of like try to use these first eight verses kind of as a window to understand what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy and seek to answer three simple questions. What is it? What is it for? And what's going on? So, so what is it? What is it for? And what's going on? First, what is Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy, at the very beginning of this book, tells us explicitly what it is. Perhaps you noticed, uh, you might be looking at your bulletin right now where it says, these are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the wilderness east of the Jordan. Okay, so they are words that Moses speaks in the wilderness. And verse 3 says a little bit more. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him. So there's two key things that we're supposed to notice, I think, in this. One is the situation in which these words are spoken, that Moses is speaking to a group of people, to the Israelites, it says in the 40th year, they are in the wilderness on the verge of Jordan. For, for 40 years, they have been wandering, having been brought out of Egypt, and now they are about to take the promised land. And the second thing that we're going to see is that when Moses is speaking, he is speaking God's word, that this is the word of God spoken to people in a time of transition. Or, or we might use a, a different way of putting it. This is God's word spoken to people who are in a gray zone. Mark Sayers is this cultural critic, and he has talked recently about the idea of, of a historical gray zone. He, he, he points out that oftentimes you'll see within human history moments where there's a major shift goes on, that goes on. Oftentimes it's because of like a a change in technology, like the printing press or the telegraph. But what happens is there is a time before that moment where there is one way that history functions and one way society functions, and then there is another thing that happens after. 
And, and, and what happens after is kind of a new way society works. But there's this in-between time where they're no longer fully out of the past, but they haven't yet stepped into kind of this new era in history that's this kind of weird, foggy overlap where people are still kind of nostalgic about the past and still kind of wanting to hold on to what made sense to them before. And yet it's clear that something's happening where things are moving forward, but people don't yet know what is going to happen as this new kind of era of history begins. And so there's kind of a confusion. And with confusion, there is an anxiety. It's a fog. It's a, a gray zone. And if we think about it for a moment, that is exactly what the people of Israel are experiencing. God's people were in Egypt for 430 years. Have you ever thought about how long that is? That the Mayflower hasn't, hadn't landed on Plymouth Rock 430 years ago. Our whole nation is less than 430 years. For 430 years, God's people lived in Egypt, developed traditions, connections with the land, ways of being. Now, things were not delightful. It was the opposite, especially in the last however many generations when Egypt had enslaved them. But this was their way. They knew who they were. They knew how to exist. And then they were brought out. And in a little while, they are going to be entering into the promised land, and over time they will develop new traditions, new ways of being, new structures. They will come to understand who they are then, but right now they're in between. They're, they're not in Egypt anymore. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're in this in-between, and, and there is a confusion. Who are they? What are their traditions? There is anxiety. They are in a gray zone. Now, Mark Sayers says that when you are in this fog, what you need is a kind of orientation. What you need is clarity, a, a true north to help you understand who you are and what you are supposed to do. And that, I think, is what we're supposed to understand as the function of Deuteronomy. God is speaking orienting words to his people to help them as they're navigating the fog of this in-between time. Which, if you just pause to think about it, seems really relevant to our moment, doesn't it? On one hand, we could say that anyone who is a Christian to some degree is experiencing life in the gray zone because the Bible speaks that when we come to place our trust in Christ, there is a sense where we no longer belong to this world anymore. The, the things around us, the way of our culture is no longer ours. We're told this world is not fully our home. This isn't our place anymore. And yet, Christ hasn't returned. We're not yet experiencing life the way that God has promised it one day will be. We're, we're in between. We're, it's not always sure how we're supposed to function. And it can be confusing and it can be anxious and we're kind of in a gray zone. But there is a sense, and this is actually what Mark Sayer's main point was, that right now, culturally, we are in a time like this. There is an enormous shift that we have been experiencing, really, from the time, maybe you could say, of the smartphone time of social media. I mean, and the way we can know is think of just how many people are nostalgic. How many people my age talk about the way things were just 20 years ago when we remember we didn't have smartphones or the internet. How, how, how much movie and TV keeps on pulling us back to the past. There is this kind of confusion. We're kind of trying to hold on to things because we don't yet know where we're going and there's anxiety and complexity and things are foggy and we feel the need to be oriented. And so Deuteronomy here is offered to us so that we can be a community that doesn't respond in anxiety or fear, but can respond with security and clarity who we are. God speaks into the gray zone to orient his people. And, and that is part of the reason it's really valuable for us to hear 
this, this season. So that's, that's what it is, but I, I want us to actually even understand a little bit more what it is for. That is, God is speaking words, but what is he seeking to do in these words, these instructions that he gives? If you look at the, like, the last verse of our passage, in verse 8, we see Moses reminding them of God's commands that happened almost 40 years ago. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to their descendants after them. Do you see this word, I am giving, I am giving? This is a clue that is meant to kind of guide our understanding of Deuteronomy. The entire book is meant to be an expression of grace where God desires to give. Which is important for us to understand because I think um, if you have any connection with Deuteronomy whatsoever, you probably are aware that it has lots of commands, lots of what we might call rules. And, and rules can sometimes feel constraining. It can sometimes feel claustrophobic. We feel kind of negatively towards it. But what we need to understand is that when God is giving these instructions, this is not some sort of needy God who is wanting his people to do things for him, or someone who's just kind of wanting to be a fun sucker who takes away any delight by telling him this is how you have to do things. No, understand the nature of these instructions are actually part of God's grace. We, we don't oftentimes like instructions because instructions almost always call us to change, to do something that maybe makes us uncomfortable. But look again at what the instruction was at the end of this passage. Go and take the land I am giving you. I am calling you to something that might make you uncomfortable, but I'm calling you to it because I want to give you something good. These instructions are words that are inviting people to experience the grace of God. And as we continue through the coming chapters, especially I think we see in chapters 4 and 5 and 6, this is a theme that's repeated where God is saying, I, I desire to give. I desire to give good things to you if you will hear me. He, one of the things that he says is, I want, I want to give you the experience of being part of a healthy and vibrant community. He, he says in, uh, at one point in chapter 6, if you do these words, they will be righteousness for you. And that word righteousness is not about just kind of checking off boxes of getting everything right. The idea of righteousness is an idea of health, of wholeness, of justice. He's saying, if you do these words, they will help you become a community that is healthy. He says elsewhere that the other people in the world, if you are able to do this, will look and say, what is going on? This community is amazing. He says, if you hear these words, here's what will happen. Your children will grow up and will flourish and will be so much wanting to be part of this community that they will hold on to these traditions. He's saying, I want to give you something good. Hear these words so that you can experience what it means to be part of a healthy and just and vibrant community. And then he also goes on to say that I, I want to give you a long and rich life. So chapter 5 will say, walk in the way of the Lord so that the Lord, sorry, walk in the way the, the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and so that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Do you hear what he's saying? I, I want you 
to enjoy the good things of this land. I want you to enjoy life. I want it to be rich. Elsewhere, he will say, these words can help you grow in wisdom and understanding. If you want to grow, if you want to become a better version of you, hear these words. They will strengthen you. They will teach you how to enjoy life the way it is meant to be. And he also says, I want you to hear these words because I want to give you a relationship with me. So we have in chapter 4, have the people hear my words so that they may learn to fear me as long as they live. And as we spend time in Deuteronomy, we understand this is at the very heart. This is the heartbeat of this book, that God desires to have a relationship with his people where they can know him where they can experience his love, where they can grow in love for him. All of this is meant kind of as a guide, as instructions. Hear these words so that we might relate, so that we might know each other and experience love towards each other. Now, I just want to pause. I know I I just kind of rattled off a list, but just think about what is being spoken of here, what God is kind of holding out in this book. I want you to be part of a, of a healthy, vibrant community that is admired, where the children grow up well. I, I want you to experience a life that is rich and is full. I want you to know me. Now, think of those things and just think about yourself for a moment. And let me just ask you to ask yourself this question. What is it that motivates you? What do you find drives you? When you are... Um, Anxious in the middle of the night because something matters to you and it feels threatened, what is it that you are feeling anxious about? Is it about children? Is it about security? Is it about loneliness? Is it about meaning and purpose? Whatever it is, do you, do you understand that, that God is saying, I want to give this to you if you only will hear what I have to say, that these words offer life to you? Isn't, isn't this what we want? Isn't this not just what we want, but what, what we see our whole world wanting? When we see all of the news, you know, when we get beyond like the political arguments about who gets to be in power and who isn't, what is it that, that we're discussing nationally? We're, we're trying to figure out how can we have a place where our children can be safe and where they can grow and flourish? How can we be a community where the vulnerable are cared for, where there is not injustice? How can we be connected to each other in a way where there is harmony? There, there are so many of those questions, and they're all kind of saying, how can we have an experience of being a community that is healthy and just, and no one knows how to do it? Or think of all of the ads that we're bombarded with. What are they, what are they inviting us to? Every time I drive to O'Hare, I feel like I'm always seeing like a thousand billboards, and like 90% of them are Brian Urlacher with hair. <laughs> like, you know, tackle baldness or something like that. They're not just talking about hair, are they? They're saying, here is the way to experience a fuller life. Football season's beginning today, which means I'll start seeing TV commercials. This is the only time I see TV commercials now. It's watching football. And there'll be like a thousand car commercials, and none of them are talking about a car. All of them are saying, if you have this, your life will be fuller and rich. Every ad is trying to say, this is the way to the full life, and none of them work. Or think of what our art, our stories, the best of them, are, are talking about. If you were here last week, you'll know that 
that Nick kind of, I don't know, shared some personal stuff about kind of the conflict between him and me about hero versus anti-hero and felt a little awkward about him talking about, but at least he acknowledged that I'm right and he's wrong. But just kind of wanted to kind of throw him a bone a little bit because I don't want him to feel too low. Um, I will point out that the things that, you know, that really bleak and dark and lifeless and meaningless TV show that he likes, those kinds of things, there's an element about them that actually is right. And that is, there is this awareness that I think our culture is experiencing that there needs to be something more, that there's an emptiness. There's an emptiness to what's going on and a longing. One, one place that Nick and I do agree, there's this show, Severance, on Apple Plus. I don't know how many of you have seen it. I don't want to talk too much about it because it's one of those ones where you have to see it to experience it. But one of the themes that it plays with is just this question of when we are doing our work, which sometimes can feel mind-numbing, and productivity seems to be everything, why? Why are we doing it? What is the purpose beyond it? And what people don't realize oftentimes when we're asking these questions in our art is what we're longing for is connection to one who is transcendent, who is the one who is true above all else. We are longing to connect with God and we are clueless about how to do it. And Deuteronomy says here, these are, these are words. This, this, I'm giving you, God says, words that if you hear, you can take hold of these good things that you long for. I mean, doesn't that make it sound like it is worth us investing some time in hearing them? Now, perhaps if you are someone who's kind of a very thoughtful reader of the Bible, you might say, hey, wait a second, you're kind of talking about Deuteronomy as if this is promised to us, but didn't you already say that it's actually God speaking to the people of Israel in a different time, in a different place? Why are we so sure that what God is saying, he's promising this to us as well? And that's a good question. And I just want to say two things, and we'll continue to talk about this over the weeks. First... Whether we realize it or not, when we have placed our trust in Jesus, we have joined Israel. The, the Bible says that Jesus is like the, the, the greatest of all Israelites. He's in some ways the one true and full Israelite. And when we trust in him, we are joined to him. And the Bible says we become children of Abraham, heirs of the promises, which means all of the promises that we have spoken in God's word apply to us now because we've been grafted into his people. And the second thing to understand is that every promise, there is never a promise that God makes that he just kind of lets fall apart. Every promise finds its yes in Jesus. And so these promises that seem very specific in Deuteronomy, that's promising about a very specific nation and a specific land, we need to understand even they are pointing beyond themselves to something greater. But in the end, we realize that what God really has for his people is not just an earthly short-term government, but he has a kingdom that will reign throughout the world. What God really has is not just one small piece of land, but he has an entire new creation that he wants his people to experience. What he has is not just some sort of relationship that's mediated by a temple, but he desires to be able to have his people see him face to face. All of these that are promised in Deuteronomy have a greater fulfillment. And the point in me saying this is to help you to understand that everything that is promised here in this book still applies to us and is offered to us. In fact, there's a real sense that the things that are offered to us, as God says, I want to give, have even greater power and even greater promise for us than they did for the people who first heard these words. We've talked about what this 
book is. It's these words of God to a people in the gray zone. We've talked about what it's for to extend grace, but there's one more thing that we need to understand, and that is what is going on. And a, a key thing to understand is that Deuteronomy, in a very real way, is a book about human failure. So there's this strange detail that the way I think Nick's reading hopefully brought it out a little bit, but maybe you didn't notice it, where in verse 2, it tells us that it takes 11 days to go from Horeb, that's Mount Sinai, remember Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea, which is where they are, 11 days. And then what do we see in the next verse? In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, this, is not, this 11-day journey has now taken them 40 years and 11 months. And the question that we're supposed to ask from the outset is, why? And immediately after, and this is what we'll be starting to look at next week, Moses reminds them, guess what, guys? Here's why it's taken so long, because you failed. God gave you these instructions, and you said no. A few chapters later, as Moses continues to remind them of their backstory, he says, also, do you remember when you were on Mount Sinai, what happened? I left for like six weeks, and you already abandoned God and turned to a golden half. Do you remember how you failed? If this is meant to be a pep talk, it's not very peppy. All that Moses reminds them is, you failed, and you failed. If past performance is, is meant to be indication of future performance, this is not an optimistic start. And it gets even worse. Because when you get to the very end of Deuteronomy, in the last chapters 27 through 34, God, through Moses, says, and here's what you also need to know, God's people, you are going to fail. He very clearly says there is going to be a time where you turn away from these commands. There's going to be a time where you forsake me and you so completely do it that you will lose this all. You will lose this land. You will lose everything. Anyone who reads Deuteronomy as this optimistic book about just saying, here's how to improve yourself through hard work, you need to realize Deuteronomy has the very opposite message. It's talking about failure. God's people are going to fail to hear these words rightly. Which raises, I think, a reasonable question. If God, from the outset, even before they've entered the promised land, knows that anything he says is going to, to some degree, fall on deaf ears, and they are going to fail, why does he even speak the words of Deuteronomy to them to begin with? And I want to try to use an analogy that I think will help us to understand how this book is meant to work. Near the very end, there's this song that God tells Moses to teach his people so that they can remember when failure happens, they're singing the song and they remember, oh, that's what God said would happen. And, and the song actually reminds them that they are God's children who have turned away. So let's use that analogy here. And imagine for a moment that you are a parent of an adult daughter who has deep substance abuse issues whether it's drug addiction or alcohol, it's something that's so grave that people who know, friends of her, realize this is a real problem. And there are times that even she will recognize it's a problem. There are times where she kind of go through a brief period of, I'm going to change, things are going to get better. But it always goes back because she, she hasn't yet gotten to that point of desperation where she's willing to make the really difficult changes. To use the cliche, she hasn't hit rock bottom. Now, say within this heartbreaking situation, you find yourself in a conversation with her where, to one degree, you know she's listening and she's hearing, and yet to another degree, she hasn't yet recognized what she needs to recognize. There's a sense that this is not going to, whatever you say won't come through. What do you say in that moment? What do you say to your daughter who you know is not fully ready to hear and yet is listening and you want to say something helpful? 
I think you would, you'd want to iterate just how deeply you love her. You would want to also say that you continue to, to see what this person can be, that you have hopes for this person, and you, you know what, what, what the, the right version of her, and you might even speak about, and, uh, like, this is the way. I want you to just understand this is what needs to happen, and I'm praying that this will happen. I'm longing that this will happen, and you might even speak about what you think will happen if she doesn't change. And all the while, you will know that, that maybe she will heal her part of it right now, and at least if she can hear about your love, then you can maintain a relationship. But there is a part of you who knows that she can't really hear it right now. What you're hoping is that there will come a time in the future where she really is brought to a place of desperation, where then, maybe for the first time, she is truly able to hear what you've been trying to tell her all this time. And I want to say that actually is how we're supposed to understand Deuteronomy. God's people are, are, are like sin addicts, idol addicts, and we see it. If you know the story of Judges, it just happens again and again and again. They feel better for a while, they're, they're sorry, and, and again, and, and, and there is this sense that they haven't yet gotten to the place that they need to. But, but God, even here in Deuteronomy, lets us know that this is his intent. He he speaks of a time that will happen beyond when they come to an end of themselves, where then they will finally be ready and finally experience what God has for them. If If we were to jump to chapter 30, here's what it says. When all of these blessings and curses that I've set before you come on you, and then you take them to heart wherever the Lord disperses you among the nations, and your children return to the Lord... And obey him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations. And it goes on to say, and and I will circumcise your heart. I will soften it. I will give you a new heart. You will be changed. That is the day that Deuteronomy in some ways is written for. This might be a story of human failure, but it's also a story of God's promise. And if you know the story of Deuteronomy, or not just Deuteronomy, if you know the story of the Bible, the rest of the Bible in some ways is the playing out of this very thing. There is this ongoing need for Israel to come to an end of themselves, to come to hit rock bottom. And there's a sense that you feel like maybe when they're exiled. You might know how after idolatry, after idolatry, eventually they lose the land, the temple is destroyed, they're brought to a place where it seems like death. But even that, as they return, it's clear that they haven't yet gotten low enough. That for them really to get to the place where they need to, they, they actually need to experience a true death. They, there's a sense that they need to even be brought through hell itself to be able to finally come to the place they need to. And so they never get low enough until finally you have this one perfect man, Jesus, who chooses to take his entire nation on himself. He he chooses to to represent all of Israel, and he goes lower than anyone has ever gone before. He experiences death. He experiences hell. He is brought to the place where there is no return. And in this, finally, God's people are brought to a complete end to themselves. And then in, in what happens next, in, in the resurrection life, something new begins. 
So that anyone who is in Christ, we're told, is a new creation. There is now a new posture, a new openness to hear. There is a work of the Spirit where the heart is softened. And now in a way that was never before the case, God's people are ready and have the capacity to hear these words in such a way that can truly give them And I want to say that is our story. If if you have placed your trust in Christ, the Bible says that you, in the moment you placed your trust, you came to an end of yourself. You died with Christ in his death, and now you no longer live, but the life that is in you is Christ in you. There is a new life within you, a new capacity to hear, a new ability. And that means that when Deuteronomy is spoken, we have the ability to hear it and to receive the life it offers for us in a way that God's people never were before Jesus. And so that's why we want to spend some time in it. We want, James says, he he invites us to receive the implanted word that is able to save you. That's what we're wanting to do, that we can collectively receive God's word as it changes and transforms us. In the coming weeks, we will see that Deuteronomy kind of speaks of receiving this word in kind of three phases. It speaks of hearing, and hearing is more than just about with our ears. It speaks of this openness, this allowing ourselves to be reworked by God's word. It speaks not just of hearing, but of keeping. And keeping is not just about doing. Keeping is about protecting, preserving, internalizing, guarding, making sure that we don't forget And it also speaks of of doing, to not just hear, but be doers of the word. This this is how we will be seeking to hear God's word and receive the implanted word. But, But before any of that, really where we need to begin is where we just were. And that is in our helplessness. In our acknowledging in our own our inadequacy by confessing our sins and asking for God to help us. 